Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 181 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Once again, thank you, everybody, for your encouragement, your ratings, your reviews. We are almost up to, can you believe it, 600 reviews on iTunes. That's crazy. And if this stuff helps you, uh, share it with your friends. Post it to your Facebook, to your Twitter, um, you know, email it to a friend, text them the link. Uh, whatever. And I think today will be helpful because I sit down with Brad Lominick. He is the former president of Catalyst and currently these days the president and founder of Blink and has written some incredible books on leadership. And and honestly, is it just has, has really great insights. I mean, he is probably, I always joke that he's got the biggest Rolodex of anybody in church world, or maybe anybody in the world, uh, Rolodex, if you remember that, that's like an 80s term that really dates me. But uh, yeah, he's just got a incredible network of people he knows, and he brings a lot of wisdom. It's a leadership roundtable, and Brad and I actually are forecasting some of the conversations we want to have with you in Atlanta in April. We are hosting the Rethink Leadership event. It's the third year that we're doing this, and it's happening simultaneously with the Orange Conference. It happens across the street at the John Maxwell Leadership Center. We limit it to 500 leaders and it will sell out, so get in before it's too late. You can go to rethinkleadership.com. Actually, next week's guest, Cheryl Batchelder, is back. And I gotta tell you, her interview is like an executive MBA. If you always wanted an executive MBA, uh, just tune in next week. And she'll be there along with Andy Stanley, along with, um, oh man, there's so many people. Herbert Cooper is going to be there, Les McEwen from Predictable Success. It's a mashup of business and leadership experts from the church world who come together to really talk about sharpening the leadership saw. So you need to get in now while there are still seats available. It's for senior pastors, campus pastors, and executive pastors. And all the information is at rethinkleadership.com. Also, for those of you in Canada, if you haven't yet registered for the Canadian Church Leaders Conference, canadianchurchleaders.ca. It's a good thing we opened up new seats because it would already be sold out if we just left it at the levels last year. And it's not happening till June. So head on over to canadianchurchleaders.ca. Anyway. Love the conversation with Brad today. Um, also, I want to just say thank you to all of you who are jumping on board with online training. I think you're making a major step forward. And I hear from Scott Magdalene that as many of a few dozen of you every week are jumping on board. So I asked him why. I said, there are hundreds of churches, little tiny ones and great big ones. Um, there are people who just run departments. It's like, can't get my senior leader on board, but I can I can do this as, you know, maybe the kids ministry person or student person or the small groups person or guest services person. And so I just wanted to know from Scott, as you've seen hundreds of churches jump on board, what are their main motivators for stepping into trainedup.church to train their leaders? Well, a lot of motivators, but the the big ones that come to mind, first off, I would say, number one, 
is um, is training engagement. So not having very high engagement in training meetings throughout the week or you know uh, those quarterly or biannually training meetings. It's really frustrating to not to have volunteers and know that they want to serve, but not able to get them to the point of they're ready to serve and trained. Um, and also there's a lot of liability in having having gaps in your training with your volunteers. And so um, they are, are starting to adopt online training specifically to be able to increase the number of volunteers that are trained. And number two, we're seeing like the number two motivator, I would say, is freeing up the time for the ministry leader to not have to spend it in, in multiple one-on-ones with getting new volunteers up to speed. Um, they're not spending time scheduling and executing training meetings throughout the week. And they're not spending time on Sunday morning having to train new volunteers when they sh- they could be you know mingling with their volunteers or going to church themselves as a ministry leader and just kind of attending church. They're not spending their mornings onboarding new volunteers every Sunday. Well, and here's what's really cool. If you want to start training your volunteers online rather than trying to get everyone in a room on the proverbial Wednesday night or Saturday morning only to have half the people show up, uh, if you really want to train 100% of your volunteers, how about we give you 10% off for life just for listening to this podcast. So you can use the coupon code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, at checkout. That'll get you 10% off of trainedup.church for life. All those services, whatever level you buy in at, 10% off for life just for listening to this podcast. So go to trainedup.church, use the coupon code CAREY on checkout. In the meantime, let us jump into that conversation, which is a prequel to the Rethink Leadership event. Get in before it's too late at rethinkleadership.com. Here's Brad Lominick and I at a leadership roundtable. Well, I'm here with the one and only Brad Lominick. Welcome back to the podcast, Brad. Is this like a four-peat? I think so. I, I don't know if this is four or three. This might okay. be my third, although I guess there I have been part of a roundtable. This might be five. Holy cow. It could be five. Wow. It's Man, impressive. I, I feel like uh, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm part of the uh, family, the the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast family. Well, you Batterson and Jeff Henderson, like you're getting your reps in for sure. That's that's pretty good company to keep. That's lots for sure. of lots of Super Bowl rings right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in that, in that small we, circle. You know, speaking of Super Bowl, uh, you know, as we as we record, the Patriots uh, just just punched their tickets. So now we're looking to see who, who's going to go from the NFC. Yeah, I'm doing a rare uh, Sunday night recording with you. I don't think I've ever done a podcast on Sunday night. And of course, you actually watch sports. So I'm like, gosh, I ruined your whole day. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. And you, you <laughs> preach this morning. So you're in I that, did you're preach. that post, post-preach funk, aren't you? I am. Yeah, it'll lift about Monday at noon. But like we were given it this morning. And uh, and it's it was, it was, yeah, there's not a lot left in the tank. I don't know why that is. It's only two services. It's not like some churches where there's like 18 that you preach all weekend. But uh, yeah, but here we are. Every, every preacher knows that story. Are you in a series? Yeah, we are. We we're, we were today. We're recording this in January. We were on uh, part two of a uh, problem of God. The series is called the Problem of God. So Mark Clark, for regular podcast listeners, you'd know that name, has a fantastic book called Problem of God. I liked his approach so much. We just did the series, and uh, it's been great. Like absolute all time record attendance last week, and then this week. I don't know the numbers, but it crushed again. Like we're up double digits over last year. It's just, it's incredible. So a guy, former, get this, okay, this is just preacher talk, right? But a former Muslim drove up from Toronto with an unchurched friend of his to be part of the 
the series today, which is exciting. Other people stopping me, telling me about who they're inviting. And it's really, it's really just, it's an apologetics. It's a fresh approach, approach to apologetics. You see, I can't speak anymore. That's like three you got, clubs. You got, yeah, you're, you're, you're still in that, you're still in the haze. I'm still in the haze, man. So it's a good thing I'm interviewing you, Brad. Well, I'm an easy interview, hopefully. Um, oh, you are. You are. It's great. So you and I are both involved with Rethink Leadership, this event that we do in Atlanta, right yes. across the street from the Orange Conference. So a lot of you heard of the Orange Conference. Many of you have heard of Rethink Leadership. It's like year three for Rethink. It's crazy, isn't it? I feel like, I feel like just yesterday we were sitting down to have an initial conversation about doing something for senior leaders. Yeah, so go back to that. Like two years ago when we sat down, we kind of took all of your experience at Catalyst that you had for a decade, my experience running the senior leaders track. We said, if we could imagine an event, what would it be like? So talk about the philosophy that we kind of came up with. You, me, Reggie, John Acuff, and a handful of others. Josh Lamb. Yeah, I think think the biggest thing, Kerry, was that we all felt like that the conversations and the connection points were way more important in that context than content was. And yeah. content was going to be the fuel, but at the end of the day, the the conversations, the community we tried to build with with leaders and the, you know, the 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 people sitting at tables, the leaders sitting at tables actually interacting with each other, getting to know somebody new, finding a new friend, um, getting an aha moment, that was going to be the the magic, the secret sauce. And I think that's proven to be true. You know, it's that sense that when you put leaders in the room together and put them at tables and then have them interact, that there's great stuff that comes out of that. And so we, we've, we've seen that. Uh, we've, we've definitely seen that, you know, the, the other piece is that we wanted to make sure it was, it was peers, senior leaders hanging out together. And there are certain places where you're going to be able to learn more because of the fact that you're setting in a, you know, in an environment with people and with leaders who actually understand what you're talking about. Um, so that's, that's also been true. And, you know, we wanted to create something that nobody was really doing. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we didn't want to just, we didn't want to carbon copy other conferences or other events or gatherings, or we, we wanted to try to do something new. And I, I think we've hit, I think we've at least, um, you know, if we had to measure ourselves on effectiveness and success, I think we're, you know, we're at least getting to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the reviews, I read every one of them both years. People, people seem to, to really appreciate the format. One of the, one of the things I remember talking about was, you know, in an age where everything's downloadable, and we're going to talk about church trends today, so that's definitely one of them. But in an age where everything's downloadable, like you and I will, will ask every speaker um, to write a new talk. Like, please don't bring us the stuff you did last month or like last yeah. year that everybody's heard. But here's the reality of our day. And our speakers, to a large extent, well, almost universally have done that. Like, I'll write, I'll introduce brand new content for uh, Rethink Leadership 2018. You will in the parts that you bring. But um, I really believe in an era where content is downloadable. That's not something you need to travel to hear anymore. I mean, maybe you need inspiration. Maybe you need, well, we don't have a band. (laughs) Rethink Leadership, which apparently a lot of senior leaders love. It's like... Thanks for the straight goods, dude. Thank you. And these are notes for leaders, too. When you're thinking about trends, we can just start there. Um, So we talked about, well, what is it that you can't download? Because let's say we all do brand new talks, like fresh thoughts, doesn't even sound like us, and it's it's home runs. Well, guess what? Within six months, you're going to find those ideas online. Somebody's going to have written an article about it. You're going to, I'm going to write a blog post about it. 
we'll give the talk at another event a month later. And like, you know, you're going to be able to get the content. So, but there's something about a content in an incubator, a relational incubator and an intellectual incubator where you have an opportunity to interact with uh, almost all of our speakers are pretty accessible. We have a green room, but we encourage people not to use it. And uh, we, we try to give a lot of access to the speakers. You know, one of our goals is that everybody's question is, is answered. And so as a result, you know, the idea, and, and I think this translates to even how we do church, if you create a 100% downloadable experience, why are people even going to come? And right. so it's that community, that conversation. Plus, we made the controversial decision and have enforced it that only senior leaders get in. So you have to be a campus pastor, exec pastor, or senior pastor. And um, our team will purge the list. Like, they'll call you in March and go, hey, you, you appear to be not a senior leader, campus pastor, exec pastor. Um, we have another event for you, but you can't come to this one. And, right. yeah. uh, and that so, seems yeah, to be valued, too. Yeah, across yeah, the street. Orange street. Conference is fantastic. It's open to everybody. W- what was the thinking behind that again, just to inform the audience? Like, what what was our thinking behind that, as you recall it? Well, just just the, the, the fact that we want to try to bring solutions and address problems and have conversations that are specific to a senior leader. And yeah. when, you're, when you're in charge, there are things that, um, that you want to talk about and you want to hear about. Um, and it doesn't mean that, that the other people on your team aren't important. That's not, that's not the goal here is to say no. you're the most important. Everybody else doesn't matter. Uh, but it's, it's more uh, both, it, both targeting a certain leader, but also saying when you put those kind of leaders in the room together where they can learn from each other, because the power of rethink is, is the person next to you as much as it is the person in front of you or on stage or, you know, that you meet somewhere else. Um, so that's why it's, it's really important for me to be sitting at a table with eight other pastors, leaders who are dealing with the same things I am. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to be, we don't, we don't want you to sit at a table and have two children's pastors and one youth pastor and one volunteer. I mean, no, again, nothing wrong with that, but that's, that's for another, another context, another day. That's another forum. And I find too, myself having sat in the senior leader chair, I feel like there is an empathy and almost an instant understanding if you're with another senior leader and they're like, yeah, I get that. I get that. I get that. And actually, that's one of the trends you wanted to talk about in this episode. You see an increasing trend of isolation and loneliness among leaders. And uh, that's one of the things, like you sit around round tables at Rethink Leadership. The idea is that you'll actually connect, not just with who you're listening to, but you'll connect with the people around the table and be able to share with that. So I always say Brad's got the biggest Rolodex of anybody I know in church world, and you travel all over the place. You're connected with every young leader, and um, you're noticing, and we'll get to a bunch of church trends, but you're noticing a trend in isolation and loneliness. What, what are you seeing, Brad? Well, I mean, you know, I, I've, I, think it, I don't think this is a new concept or a new phenomenon. I, I do think it's more... It, it's, it's more um, it's more painful right now because mm-hmm. we're living in such an environment and such a culture where, where we are connected at all times, but the opposite is also true. We're the most disconnected at all times. And, you know, so it's, it's way easier now to look like you're connected and look like you have friends uh, compared to, you know, what it used to be. So um, the other thing is that 
is that because of where we're heading in terms of leadership and even with free agents, um, even with people who are working from home, even with virtual realities of, of office environments and, you know, we don't necessarily show up as much as we used to in the same place with people. Mm. And it's, it's really easy to create your own economy in essence. Um, <laughs> you and I do this. We, yeah. you and I have, we, we have an environment, you know, we're, we're both like, we both have our own organizations. I mean, you have a bigger team than I do. Um, but if I'm not careful left to sort of my own, um, reality of a normal day, I, I may not see anyone. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be much more intentional about, about creating and sustaining and, and, and actually like leaning into friendships and community and making sure that isolation doesn't become my norm. Yeah. Uh, and if it does, then I, that I'm, I'm in danger. You know, I'm in, I'm in the red zone. I'm, I'm in that place where, you know, the neon signs are flashing, not because, not because I'm, I'm necessarily, uh, spiritually bankrupt. It's just because when you get to that place where you're isolated, bad things happen mm-hmm. every single time. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how uh, dialed in you are with, with all the other pieces of life. If, if you, if you allow yourself to stay in those places, then bad things happen. And we're just not made to be in isolation. And I, and I see it more and more often, um, especially with younger, because younger sees the world digitally. Right. They, they, they just, they naturally look at the world and think the basis of my relationships and my friendships and my connections are, are through ways that mainly are around digital experiences. And so we have to fight even more to make sure that they actually have like face-to-face interaction together in the same place, you know, like looking each other in the eye and having conversations and, and pushing into those places that might, again, nobody looks around and says you're, you're in trouble, but right. man, if, if you, if you take, if you take stock of your last week and some of us, you know, would say how many, how many times, how many of my hours in the last week were spent uh, in a, in a place where I was surrounded by no one, hmm. you know, that's a, that's a pretty big part of the way you need to assess am I in danger of this? Yeah, and I think you can be around people but feel alone. In my book, which comes out in September, didn't see it coming. I've got a whole section um, which is related to disconnectedness. You know, exactly what Mm -hmm. you said, that the more connected we are, the more disconnected we feel, which I think is the paradox of modern life. And it's interesting that you see that in younger leaders because I think you can almost see like this false friendship that, yeah, I got a thousand friends and um, I know all these people. And yet, who really knows you? Another thing that I've, yep. I've been fascinated by, I write about it in the book. I've taught, had conversations with Scott Sauls about this and a few other friends, and uh, also talked to my wife about it a lot, Tony. And we were talking about it at dinner tonight. But the number of times conversations seem to be unidirectional these days. In other words, if I'm going to sit down with you, Brad, I, I might just actually spout at you rather than listen right. to you. Like a really good conversation is a ping pong match. It's table tennis. Yeah. It's, Brad, what's going on? And you tell me something, and then you ask me a question, and then I ask you a question. And it, it's back and forth. It's that idea of mutuality. And I don't know whether it's just a strange universe that I happen to be in, but uh, the number of times I actually get asked a question um, by people these days seems to be diminishing yearly. 
where, you know, who's really checking in with you. Now, fortunately for, for us, we have some really, really good friends where we have that kind of relationship that goes back and forth. But you can actually be with people and be left entirely feeling alone, I think, because nobody's really checked in. Like, Brad, no, how is it going, Brad? Like, what's really yeah. going on in your life? What's in... You know, you're not going to get that um, just in a lobby conversation on a Sunday morning. But, you know, in that handful of 10 friends, who's really listening as well as speaking? I call it the depth of conversation, but I I see that a lot. Um, Do you see that? And what else do you see when you um, connect with young leaders? No, I definitely see that. And, I, you know, I would the other piece I would say is, um, and this is important for me, you know, again, as somebody who travels a lot and has lots of different uh, projects and, and organizations that I'm involved with, yeah. but I have to have a home base. I have to have base mm-hmm. camp. And if I don't have base camp, again, the isolation of feeling like you're connected with all these things, but then not having something to call home or at least where your community is grounded yeah. and grounded community has to be part of your, of your ritual. Cause otherwise you, you again, you're out there on the Island. You're getting stuck, you know, by yourself. You're, you, somebody sees you and says, Hey, for four months, I haven't seen you around. Um, you know, that's really, again, it's, it doesn't mean you're like, you're, you're living a life of sin, but it does mean that you're potentially more susceptible to the things that we, we don't want to see happen to leaders. Um, and you know, just being grounded, having a home base, having a place where you feel like it's foundational. It's, it's the place you return to. Um, you know, that's a, that's, that's huge. And uh, we, we have to just be really, really intentional about this stuff and the higher, you know, this carry, the higher you go up the ladder, yeah. the more lonely it is. And that's, yep. that's true in any environment. But um, why is that? And I, I wanted to ask you, that was my next question. Cause I think you're right. You know, if nobody knows bad things grow, like that's just true. I think if, if yep. nobody really is asking questions, but you know, you weren't exactly, haven't been, that's not your calling, pastor of a church, but you're president of Catalyst. I mean, you're kind of the man, and I know a lot of pastors struggle with this, and you could be a student pastor, a kid's pastor, next-gen, associate, senior, or whatever, but, uh, and we have this discussion at Connexus, where I serve, even an elder and I had it in the last 30 days, where it's like, how, how known can you be in the church where you serve? Like, can you go 100% of the way in those friendships with, with the church that you serve? When you were, you know, in what you do or what you used to do, did you run into a barrier where you felt like you couldn't be 100% transparent? Like maybe 90% transparent, 95% transparent, but you couldn't have that 100% depth of relationship with the people around you? Yeah, definitely. And it, T- you know, Tell me consen- why. Well, the concentric circles, uh, as the concentric circles go out, yeah. Typically, typically you're, you, uh, if like from a, from the, from this idea that you're building a persona, right. Many times, many times you, you look like you're more authentic and more vulnerable and more honest and real to the concentric circles furthest away from you, because that's where it's actually easy to paint this picture of, you know, I'm a, I'm a great leader. I'm, I'm a real leader. Look at the way I'm honest, you know, and a lot of authors, thought leaders, again, people who mm-hmm. are being pursued. And this happened to me, Carrie. Like, I've mm-hmm. talked about this on your podcast. Like, Yeah, I in was, an H3 leadership. Absolutely. I mean, I was, I was in a place where the people further from me and, and, you know, three or four concentric circles away from the core, 
were actually getting the best version of me. Um, yeah. And then those who were closest to me were getting the leftovers and getting the, 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 the not vulnerable, the not real, the not authentic. And, you know, that's, that's what we typically do because many times, you know, those closest to you, especially on your team, yeah, you, you see them as this thing that's helping you create a transaction or to push you up the mountaintop, you know, to accomplish the vision. And that's all good. I mean, we want to move that we want to move the ball forward. Um, but many times, you know, we, we, we don't allow for, for the same interactions to happen with people who are on our team and closest to us because we, we feel like at the end of the day, well, it, you know, if I'm really close friends with them, will they actually listen to what I tell them to do? Yeah. You know, it, well, will I be able to have influence over them? Will they still respect me? Will they, and, and I've just come to the point um, later in life where when anybody asks me that, I always say, lean into being as close as possible to the people who God has placed closest to you. Yes. Meaning that, meaning that, you know, friends, family, teammates, um, and, you know, this is elder board, uh, anyone who is, who is in your closest concentric circles, you need to actually figure out ways to get, to get close to them. Yes. And if, if, if there are way, if there are points where you have to let them go, if there, if there are, you know, things that are difficult, that's going to be even more difficult, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. It is worth it to push to those places where the people who you feel like know you the best are the ones that are hanging out with you the most. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of leaders, you can get into this trap, Brad, that's such a good word where they feel isolated. But if nobody's reaching out to you, reach out to somebody. Like just, exactly. you know, you got yep. that one or two uh, person, those one or two people that you could totally reach out to. And something I learned, I had a pretty long conversation, both publicly and privately with John Ortberg about like friendship. And uh, one of the things he, he just said that, that totally resonates with me is intimacy is shared experience. Mm. I mean, you love to hunt, you love to fish. I mean, those guys or those people, leaders who've been on those trips with you, or you and I went to Guatemala together and we traveled together. I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's not just, you know, and that could be as simple as it starts in a coffee shop, but when right. you travel together, when you do things together, when you have adventures together, when you get scared together. It's why Bob Goff makes you jump off that, uh, that rock, exactly right. right? That's exactly it. right, Gary. I mean, yeah. that's it. And, and the more shared experiences you have, I mean, I love that. That's a great thing to, that Orberg said and to remember for, for leaders is um, find some people who you can go do adventures with too. Right. You know, like have people in your life who actually have shared hobbies and shared interests and passion points that, that then you, you are intentional about actually doing those things with them. So for me, it's hunting, you know, I mean, when I've, when I've got a gun on my hand and a duck circling above though, I don't care who's sitting in the blind with me in the duck blind, all of a sudden we're, we're going to connect. You're bonded. We are, you know, and, and, but in that, that's a, that's one of those things that the, the more I do it, the more I'm intentional about it again, the, the, because as, as time goes on, you, you push those things out. Yeah. Every leader does because you gotta, you gotta spend more time focusing on the things that you think matter. And I've just learned over the last couple of years that those are the things that matter the most. So put those in first, work on those things first. The other things will happen even, you know, uh, it, you, you, you will always push the things out that you need the most. 
<laughs> That's so true. And you know, in terms of shared experience, just as we were talking about, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to spend a thousand dollars and fly somewhere or do something. Or so, a, a silly example: we were in Silicon Valley a few months ago, and I was fortunate enough that my wife Tony was able to come with me. And so, we had a couple of days. And you know, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I found out like Steve Jobs' house because I've read the Walter Isaacson biography and the whole deal yeah. and everything, and you know that whole deal. So. I uh, I went to what his house was. You know, Google will tell you those things. And I had read all the legendary stories over the years about the walks he would do with people. Like, he would just take them on walks. And so, literally, we parked my car right outside of his house. It wasn't hard. It's just a normal house. And Tony and I started walking these really nice blocks in uh, Palo Alto. And it was great. And I thought, can you imagine the conversations that happened here? Can you imagine when you read his biography, can you imagine what was dreamed up, what was, you know, had here? It can be as simple as that, that that is the beginning of a shared experience. That's the beginning of intimacy. And so it's like, go for a walk with somebody, get them out of the office, you know, grab a meal, grab a coffee, have those experiences. Just before we move on, because we're going to get into some real practical trends as well. Um, The shadow side of staying isolated and alone an unknown is what for a leader, Brad? I think, I think the tendency is that you become incredibly jaded. You become cynical. Mm. Hmm. You, you think that, um, that no one is, is for you because you're so far removed from reality. Um, and then you actually start to believe things that aren't true about you, which is reality deprivation syndrome. And we know leaders who have it because we, we've worked for some of those folks or we've been around them and, they live in this fantasy land and they, they think you, you listen to them say something and you go, where in the world would you ever come up with that? And it's because they, they, they started to believe it because it felt like it should be true because there was nobody around them who was able to say to them, are you kidding me? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Stop. Mm. You know, we're, we got to get off of that, off of that train. But the more, again, more isolated you are, the more you start to, to think things that probably aren't true or shouldn't be true. And then therefore you live in this world of, I'm going to go voice my opinion on something that is so far out of the normalcy. And I think the reason Carrie, a lot of us, a lot of us are dealing with, with, with a, um, a juxtaposition or a dysfunction or a, a, a schizophrenic view of truth. Mm. And ability to have a conversation today is because we live in places of isolation. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're a blogger who, who never sees anyone, but, <laughs> but sits somewhere and thinks up ideas and all of a Welcome sudden. Welcome to yet another oh. opinion of mine. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's, that's dangerous. Well, and it's been said for years isolation breeds uh, breeds eccentricity. And you yep. see these really eccentric thinkers, eccentric people, and paranoia. It breeds paranoia. I think that's really good. And so your view of the world becomes distorted. I'm also convinced that isolated leaders don't make it in the end. That right. you, you are not going to do the 30-year run in ministry or leadership or whatever you happen to be doing. I think that you get picked off in isolation. Right. Yep. The, the you really flame do. Out. Just get picked the flame off. Out. Yeah. The, 
that you, you might have a rocket ride of six months or a year or two years. Uh, but your, your short window is going to flame out pretty quick because there's nothing that there's nothing actually there. That's, that's foundational. That's going to sustain you over time. Well, you do connect with a lot of young leaders. Uh, so just switching gears, young communicators, this is just something I've noticed and you and I've talked about it a little bit, but you know, the distinction between preaching and teaching and people always ask, well, what's a distinction? Aren't they the same kind of, but like teaching's a little more head, teaching's a little more academic. Preaching would be more call to repentance, a call to life change, probably a little more passionate, a little less cerebral, a little more heart, a little less head, right? So preaching, teaching, yeah. there's, a, there's a real simple distinction that doesn't hold a lot of theological weight, but I think most people get, get what I'm getting at. Um, I see more and more young communicators, like under 40s, leaning toward preaching rather than teaching. Um, what are you seeing, and what are the trends there, and why do you think, if that is a trend, that, that that's something that's developing? I do, I do see it uh, in the similar way you're talking about. I mean, I, I think part of that's because the, the, the voices or the um, well-known communicators, the ones that everybody would kind of have on their list of who yeah. they listen to, their podcasts, they... You know, if they're going to a conference, they they hear that person. I think a lot of those are examples of preachers. Right. So, just give an example of a couple that would be like well known in the in the preaching community. Judah Smith would be you know somebody that's that's known. Yeah, more more preacher in style. Although you know, if you if you sit down and have a, a roundtable with Judah, and I've seen him do this, you know, he's a leadership uh, junkie too. And mm. you, you put him in a teaching environment. And he's able to do that as well. But all of the expressions of where you would mostly hear him, which is conferences or Sunday morning in his church in Seattle, you know, that's that's where you you find most of his content that's put out there is more preaching style. Um, totally. You know, Carl Lentz would be another one. Hillsong, New York City. The whole Hillsong stream is pretty much more toward the preaching side than the teaching side. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, there again, you know, you've, you take somebody like Carl, who I've, right. I've I've seen him in a teaching environment, and he can do both. I mean, you you kind of go, whoa, is that the same guy? Like, it's yeah. interesting. You know, or Brian on- Houston. I mean, you pick his brain on leadership. Oh my goodness! I mean, you get you get just it, you can't take notes fast enough. The guy's genius on that stuff, but a yeah. great preacher as well. And you had you know you had Craig on, and you asked him about this, and I did. And Craig, yeah. Craig, I, I think Craig's answer was that he's probably moved. Uh, more towards preaching uh, because it's it's a fire in his belly. That I think that's what he said. Or there was yeah yeah. Was something- well, he said he kind of lost, if I remember it correctly. He said he realized that he was losing steam a little bit, and he kind of had to wake himself up, and that was a way of doing it, which I completely respect. Another guy who I wonder, and I mean, he was part of our roundtable last year, but Judd Judd Wilhite. I've seen yeah. a little bit of a transformation and a morph in his style over the years as well. I, I I would agree. I mean, Judd. Yeah. You know, if you if you listen to Judd right now compared to ten years ago, yeah, uh, there's probably more preacher in him. And I I think yeah. some of that too, Carrie, is that is that it's not just the voices or the examples that we're sort of listening to. Um, it's also the culture we live in. And, yeah. You know, do you the think the preacher's voice in, is being more heard then? Like, what what do you think that is? I think the I think the hope giving. I think the the mm. passion, um, the the sense of like charismatic, expressive, um, just energy is, is more attractive yeah. in general. And, I, and I'm making big sweeping statements here, but I think 
the the hopeful, passionate, energetic, you know, we're going to, we're going to change the future. We're going to go take that hill and, you know, and people are clapping and they're standing up and they're excited. I think that's, I think that's more attractive in general to Hmm. the current culture we live in compared to the person who is a little bit more academic. They're, they're a little bit more monotone. They're a little bit more uh, built around sort of, we're going to unpack this. And it feels like um, something that I would hear in a classroom compared to in an arena or a bigger context. So some of that just, uh, just what we're, I think what we would all say, what works, what seems to be drawing people or at least helping them, if we're all talking about life change, and hopefully we are, you know, and moving somebody down the, the, the road of spiritual discipleship and, and growing in their walk with Christ, then I think some of that just comes back to who's walking into our churches. Mm-hmm. One of the critiques I've heard, and I'm not sure I agree with it, but I just want to put it out there, is that when you look at that preaching trend, which you and I both think is a trend, and I've heard others say the same thing, that really preaching speaks more to lapsed Christians and to Christians than it really does to the unchurched. Um, so that's a critique I've heard of that numerous times. Any thoughts on that? I don't know. That's a that's an yeah. interesting take. Um, you know, I would say like you know, I said under the teaching of Louis Giglio, and I think Louis and Louis Passion City Church preacher. I mean, like he was, he's got oh no preaching chops. exactly yes, and he's always been a he's always been yeah. more of a, a, a of a preacher style. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, he he would he, I think the way we would approach the person walking into Passion City is is very much. If you're a non-believer, then you got to jump on this train. It's moving. Yeah, yeah, we're going somewhere. There, I think underneath that, which is really interesting, is is that preaching to me has somehow the feeling or the essence or the aroma of there's a movement. Like if you're not here, you're gonna miss it. Like if you miss a Sunday, this isn't, and I've written about this, but the 100% downloadable experience. The thing that yep. we are painfully trying to avoid at Connexus, where, where I serve, and I mean, I think the people in the meetings I'm in are sick of me saying this, but like, let us please not create a 100% downloadable experience. And you can't, you can't manipulate people into that, but like, there's got to be something, you know, I hate it when people show up for church looking for God and they find us instead. Like. Yeah. I just, I just think that's, that's a mistake. That there needs to be that transcendence without being weird or manipulative or, or, or whatever. But I think there is a hunger, and I wonder, I wonder if it's the preaching voice that's missing. I mean, you can get so many five tips to. I mean, I'm the worst blogger ever for like eight things and seven things or whatever. But you can get that anywhere in the culture. Um, you know, Forbes, Inc., Huffington Post. I mean, all those sources. You just even even major media have gone to you know, helpful, downloadable principles. So maybe the alternative voice is the preaching voice, which is why it's attractive. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Well, and my, I mean, my advice to those listening, especially those of you who are, who are communicators on a regular basis on a weekend is be yourself. You know, if, if you, if you're much more dialed in and DNA wise built to be a teacher, then be a teacher. Don't, because as soon as you start to try to be somebody and you're not, Man, it is going to just be the worst possible scenario. Um, yeah, that's so and, true. You know, people want who you are. They 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 want you to 
to lead from the place that you're most talented and you're best designed. And, you know, I, I would say too, that, um, a good mixture of both is also a really good rule of thumb. So if you're more preacher, then find ways to, to, to integrate some teaching into that context. If you're, if you're more teacher, then find some ways to push yourself out of your boundaries and maybe get a little bit excited and actually like stir some people up and maybe get an amen or a clap, you know, from, from your congregation. But I think a good balance is, is probably the best place to sit if you're not sure. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good word. You know, as Oscar Wilde said, be yourself, everyone else is taken, um, which is really good. And we, we uh, speaking of, you know, being connected slash disconnected, uh, we've never had a greater capacity to be imitators than we do today in the culture. Because no in these earbuds comes anybody, anytime that you can. And, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this or not. I still run into this from time to time. But like, and Bill Hybels is an amazing leader. But if I found a leader that would um, listen to everything Bill did and or even be in his orbit, sometimes they would have the same cadence and the same, like he has a very distinct way of speaking, Hybels. And I would hear other people and I'm like, that's Bill Hybels, that's not you. And yep. I know I have to check that in my own spirit, you know, being in North Point world, I don't want to be, I'm heavily influenced by Andy, but I'm not, you know, little Andy or whatever, you know, or Reggie or, or whatever. You got to find your own voice. And I think most of us, if you look at teacher on one extreme and preacher on the other, most of us are somewhere in the middle. Like, you know, yes. there may be a few people who are like 100% teacher or 100% preacher. I'm bilingual. I can do both. But I lean toward the teaching side. And like Craig, maybe, if I don't challenge myself, I, I can make, you know, to me, the difference between preaching and teaching, Brad, is, you know, I worry that, that, that if people leave after I've taught and maybe even taught well, they go, huh, he's right. And I don't want people just to think I'm right. I want people to think that's right. And yep. there's the preaching. Wait a minute. That's right. That's true. I'm convicted. I need to do something about this. Oh my goodness. God is real. <laughs> like, where's the gospel? What do I do? What do I do? You know, what shall we now do? How shall we now live? Right? Like that, like not just make your life better, but change your life. That's, that's yes. really what I want to do. And I think that's the power of preaching. And so I probably have to remind myself to get more in touch with that than the teaching side, because teaching's so easy for me. Yeah. Okay. That was my little rant. Yeah. I'm, done. I'm, I'm totally with you. <laughs> and remember the average, you know, the average person is, is probably heard other communicators. They may be listening to them when, when you nowadays ask somebody, Hey, who's your, who's your pastor? Many times right. they might give the answer that it's not even you locally. Right. So, you know, again, we're living in this world where we're able to, we're able to consume Basically, you know, any content, any communicator, any preacher, any pastor, any teacher from anywhere in the world, you know, so um, in, in that way, we're all on the same team. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it makes me even more, it makes me even more, uh, uh, I guess, just I, I need, I want to, I want to remind people, be yourself, because if you start trying to preach like Furtick, um, there's only one Stephen Furtick. Yeah. You know, there, there's only one Andy Stanley. There's only one Tim Keller. Mm -hmm. There was only one Bill Hybels. Um, and, you know, if, if that's true, then it might serve people in your church that are, they, they might want to listen to Andy. And that's great. Because 
the more people I think were hearing the gospel and the, yeah. the word of God actually, uh, you know, broken down and, and t- taught from, I think that's a good thing. I don't think we can have too much of that. It's not a threat. It's a compliment. Exactly. Right. Yes. You're, they're they're complimenting. Uh, the other communicators are complimenting people's lives. They're not competition for you. And I think yes. as a leader, I have to remember that. And that's important. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was sort of this end of cool church. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 15, 20 years ago, it was pretty awesome. I mean, you have a haze and a band and you throw up the stage and all these people kind of emerge. But that model is changing as well. And listen, our church, we use Hayes, we have the band, we got the whole deal. All right, I, I get that. I get that. But like this idea that it's a just add water thing where you create this cool environment and all of a sudden unchurched people show up. Um, do you think cool church is dying uh, or what's replacing it or how is it changing? What do you see in that, Brad? I, I don't know if it's dying because uh, there are still lots of places that <laughs> that when you do that, people actually go, wow, that's that's... You, you just created an experience for me. Hmm. Um, I think the average place where you've got some culture that has permeated some other things, the average person's walking in now saying, you've, you've, you can't, oh, you can't outwow me from what yeah. I've seen. I've been to Cirque. I've been to Disney. I've been to, <laughs> I've seen it all, you know, like. Yes, I've we will never be Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I've watched the award shows, you know, I, I've, I've been to conf, concerts, um, I'm, I'm not going to be able to, to outdo you um, two or Coldplay, you know, yeah. so that, the, I think fighting that as, as competition is, is, is probably not smart in a lot of places. So yes, I would say go the opposite way, which is you want to make true authentic connection points. Mm-hmm. And if Hayes feels authentic, do it. If it doesn't, you don't need it. Um, because what people are, they're, they're, they're starving for, for something that's real. They're starving for yeah. something that feels like, oh, I can believe this. They're starving for, wow, like, I feel like I connected with that person. I believe them. You know, they're, they're not hiding behind this facade of, of the skinny jeans and the cool look, and they're all wearing the same outfit. And again, nothing wrong with that. Right. But, but if, if, that's your, if that's your strategy, people automatically are going to see through that. You know, so it's the same in conference world, Carrie. Like right now, the yeah. conferences, the conferences that are the most, um, I would say, attractive to the average leader or the average person, are the ones where when you walk away and you say, "Hey, what did you love about this?" Not even on the top twenty list would be any of the stuff that that we think probably matters, yeah. or that we would, you know, we would say would kind of fit in the cool category. Um, so. What you do want to what you do want to make sure you are doing though, and this is not cool, but it it can get caught up in the cool category, is that you're creating an experience. Yeah. You, the power of moments. I mean, this is a book that um, I we were actually talking the other day, and I yeah, read, you I, and I were about Dan we were and Chip Heath, right? Yeah, still haven't just, ordered that. I'm going to order that. Hopefully, we'll have uh, Dan on the podcast. That would be amazing. I know. We're let, let's we're, we're, we're trying on. to make that happen. Yes, but but that's such a great book and in, in validating a lot of things you know, of the power of experiences and the power of creating memory moments and the power of like these benchmarks. Um, so I would say focus on, focus on creating memory points and things that stand out for people, not, not necessarily focus on being cool. 
right. or doing song. all the latest songs right in with all exactly. the latest tracks yeah yeah so i think i know. think too much i mean one of my theories right or wrong is that too much production can actually be a barrier that you can yes. overproduce something and it comes off as inauthentic, even if the people who are, you know, singing or whatever are authentic. It just it just creates this layer. One of the big decisions back to rethink leadership that we had is how much production are we going to have? And our answer was absolutely minimal. So, you know, there's a little stinger, there's a little trailer, but like there's no band, there's no sizzle, there's no fancy video it's basically just leaders in a ted talk style with community and connection just kind of like boom 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 and again having read the reviews that seems to really be connecting with people because it's that authentic meaning and connection that that seems to to be resonating and i think i'm trying to like you know when we did the canadian church leaders conference here in canada we're doing it again this year I took all the notes from that. Now, we do have a band in production, and we have our own reasons for that. But, um, you know, that community connection, short, rapid-fire, authentic, real, is yeah. just the environment we want to create. Because, again, I think that's, that's countercultural. I think, I think that is what people miss the most about where we are as um, a culture these days. Yeah, and, and cool doesn't mean that you're connected <laughs> that's so true that's so true cool does not mean that you're connected and actually no. it can be a barrier right i mean you don't want to be exactly. so completely out of touch that you have no idea how to communicate or connect with people on the other hand um you know as a guy who's over 50 nobody thinks you're 20 so right please yeah. please don't try to be that cool yeah so embrace <laughs> that you know and, embrace and, it i'm over 50 yeah yeah everybody everybody else knows it and and you know you should too so it's there. There's just power in again that sense of, of of honesty and being true to who you are. And um, you know the, the I, I, one of the most powerful moments ever at Catalyst, Carrie. Yeah. Over all the years, over all the years of shooting doing the Catalyst, guy out of the cannon. Was it? Was it that one? That was that was pretty awesome too. That was pretty awesome. Uh, that was pretty awesome. But one of the most powerful moments ever was when the electricity went out. So no screens. No, no audio, no microphones, and the the band was playing, and they just kept playing. So you so really had, heard the acoustic guitar. That's it. Oh, no, no question, man. And the crowd just went with it. And for I don't know, ten minutes or so, um, while they were trying to get the power to come back on, it, it was one of the most epic experiences I can remember. Wow! Just because it was scaled down, it was raw, it was real. You know, and people people embraced it. Now, should we do that the whole time? No, but there there's there's beauty in those you know in those places where you strip away all the other stuff, yeah. and it just gets back to the you know to the to the foundation. And I think those are moments, right? And in your service planning, yeah. um, one of the other things Craig said, it was just such a <laughs> so uh, fortunate. He was just so on when I was talking to him, but he always is. He said, you know, what do I want people to feel at this moment yep. in the service? And that is a really, really helpful thing because sometimes you don't always want people to feel hype and happy. I mean, you know, I'm preaching on evil and suffering. Um, there's going to be some tender moments and there's going to be some heart space and there's going to be some stuff. Like I, I know of um, one guy who told me that someone may be coming to church for the first time ever who lost both of his parents when he was a child. 
Like there's that stuff in the room. Well, what do you do when that stuff is in the room? You very quietly, prayerfully, respectfully engage that and you allow God, you just kind of create some space and maybe God's going to do something. Maybe that's not the moment, but you just create the space for it and and pray that God does what, what God wants to do. So um, what's happening, Brad, um, speaking of cool church and the whole deal with church attendance? I mean, everybody would say that church attendance is number one, declining, and secondly, people who attend are attending less often. That's a frequent theme, you know, we talked about it on this podcast, on the blog I write, many other places. Um, what are you seeing with that, and what do you think is happening? Well, I'm, I'm not an expert uh, on church attendance. I, I would agree with what but you're you saying. And so. <laughs> I do, I do, yeah. And yes, I, I, mean, you do. <laughs> I, I definitely think there's a trend uh, towards, towards, you know, the average committed person who would feel like they're, they're part of a local house and they're, they're, they're dialed into a local expression of a local church would, if you, you know, if you survey all them, they're, they're going less and showing up in a physical location less. Yeah. But does that mean they're less engaged? Man, I don't know. That is the question. And so I don't want to. I don't want to change all the things we use metrics-wise to determine attendance. But I, I do think it's it's worth considering. Is the way we measure attendance actually valid anymore? You know, and mm. our buddy Clay Scroggins is thinking about the digital world a lot. I mean, he's you know he's he's kind of he's written some stuff and talked about some things that. Yeah, and he'll be on the podcast. We're going to talk about that this year. I'm so excited for that conversation because he's and, leading blazing trails in that area. Right. So all of a sudden does, does digital count or is it JV? You know, yeah. is it, is it the JV version now? And you go, well, it's an asterisk next to it. I don't know. I mean, you know, does it, does it count that I'm, I'm listening to, to a podcast of the sermon during the week, but I didn't necessarily show up on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, should that count? Now, did I have the interaction in person? No. And there is a, there is a need for that. I, I totally agree. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, is so I don't I don't think that we have a culture that's that's less interested in being a part of a local body. Yeah. I just think that we have a culture that says that says the rules that used to be in place of the way I had to view this this segment of life, which was my spiritual life and the the, the way I got the hundred or the A on the test or on the your grade was that I showed up for perfect attendance. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't know if perfect, I don't know if perfect attendance is, is actually like the, the ultimate expression of spiritual growth and discipleship. I'm not sure. That, that's a really good question. Does perfect attendance equal perfect engagement? Yes, exactly. Right. That's really how you could ask it. That, that, that's sort of a, a fresh take on it. I think that's a great question. Not that, you know, perfect attendance, perfect engagement. Nobody's perfectly engaged in the mission of the kingdom of God other than Jesus. Okay, so, uh, you know, theologically, that's got issues. But, you know, just because they're not there, are they engaged? So, great example. Uh, I got home from church today, and uh, one couple I know was away. They were in New York City. And so I see this picture, first thing on my Facebook feed, and it's, it's a live stream of me doing the service. This is so meta. It's a live stream of me doing the service, and she and her husband are in a hotel room in New York City overlooking Times Square, 
So I'm watching me preaching over Times Square on, and she's wow. Facebook living the live stream to her friends and is praying for her unchurched friends. And we've had conversations like in the last week about people that they're investing in with the series. So the question is, does that count? Right. And and in and, and, and the grand scheme of things, is her spiritual experience of doing that in New York City and 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 interacting in the way she created, is that actually more impactful to her walk with Jesus than if she was sitting in row three? Yeah. In person. Yeah. I mean, well, it's great. And I mean, and the reality is a a decade ago or 15 years ago, if she'd been in New York City with her husband on business, then there would be no church engagement or they would have found something that they would have gone to as a visitor. But this was a way of them being involved in our local mission. I had another guy, a former Muslim, come up from Toronto who engaged with us on Facebook. And I almost think we're getting to the point, you know, where... um, Church leaders asking if online counts is a little bit like Sears asking if Amazon counts or a little yes. bit like New York City cabs asking if Uber counts, right? Yeah. Like, so does Amazon count? It's like, well, they've it, clobbered the entire market. I think they count. Well, you know what's true, though. You know, we, you know what does count is what? online giving. Online giving counts. <laughs> That's so right. We'll measure that all day long. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, the old days... The old days in in churches, you had like you had Sunday school attendance board in the church. You yeah. had main session or main you know main uh, service time attendance, and then you had giving. Th- those were the three things that actually everybody saw like in the church. It's true. It's true. I still remember that. I would look for that. This is how I, I should have known that that was the first sign I'd be a pastor, because when I was like ten years old in our church, every Every single week, I would pay attention to those numbers on that little yep. like church sign board, and I'd always oh, yeah. be excited when they went up. I don't exactly. know. Uh, I drank the poison early, so. <laughs> I, I, I think I think that we we it's it's definitely worth us uh, changing some of the way we uh, measure what attendance really is. Yeah. Well, we're finding too with our first time guests, the uh, the majority of them are now saying, "Hey, we've watched online for weeks, months." sometimes a year before we set foot in the door. It's like checking out a restaurant on Yelp or on um, Open Table before you go to it. And, uh, you know, I guess ultimately for me, increasingly the question is, is someone watching online because they're leaning away or because they're leaning in? There's definitely people who are leaning away, people who are like, we used to go, we used to be engaged, now we're in our PJ, sort of watching, but oops, I fell asleep. Well, they're leaning away, and I don't know what we can do to get them reengaged, but I think there's a growing number, even a greater number of people who are leaning in and going, huh, not sure I would ever darken the door of a church, or we can't be there this weekend, or my kid is in travel ball or whatever, and you can argue about that all day long, but that's just where they are in their life. And we're leaning in, and I think the leaders who take that seriously are going to have healthier churches than the leaders who ignore it and say the only way you can show up, or the only way you can count, is to be here in the box at a set hour every weekend. And yes. if you don't, we can't help you. Sorry. Yeah, and so much of our so much of our counting, Carrie, uh, feeds our ego. Hello. Yes. I mean, yep. it does. Like, totally. Let's all be honest. Let's all be honest. And you know, when we when we see five hundred, and then we see four hundred. Two Sundays in a row, we automatically think I'm 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 I as a leader I'm doing a bad job. Yeah. When when we see 600, we go I'm I'm doing a great job. And so 
we, we have to, we, we, we gotta be really careful that, you know, our success is not measured only on attendance because those hundred people that may have not come the second week after, you know, 500 and then 400, are they still engaged? Are they still like part of the house? Are they still contributing? Are they still in, in community? Are they still moving forward with you? Are they um, serving? Are they inviting their unchurched friends? Are they building you into people? It. Yep. You got it. So don't, you know, if, if your whole world as a pastor is built on the premise that attendance drives how I feel, hmm. that's dangerous, man. That is a dangerous place to be. And we want to measure things because when we measure it, we, we can, we can actually like effectively shift or change to make it better. So yeah. This is not a measurement question, but it's, it is a question of where are you getting the fuel and where are you getting validation? And, you know, that's, that's, you gotta, you gotta be really careful about those things. And I think, you know, as we've talked about before on, on, in my space, uh, on my blog, you know, in the future church, um, attendance won't drive engagement. Engagement will drive attendance. In other words, yeah. you know, we'd hope to get 100, 1,000 people in a room, hopefully some of them get engaged. In the future church, you get people engaged. If you have an engaged church, you won't have to worry about attendance because the engagement will drive that. And I think, you know, getting people engaged during the week, you look at social, it's a tremendous opportunity to have touch points with your church through email, social media, Facebook, multiple times a week, and to actually be better pastors than you were 20 years ago when it depended on your physical presence in somebody's home or whenever midweek or coffee shop. By the way, your, your, your conversation with Jeff Henderson is a must listen. Oh, As on for yeah, marketing, the whole four media. thing. Hello. We'll link Man, to that. So good. So yeah. Good. Craig and Jeff kicked off 2018. What would that be? Episode? I get lost in the numbers now. I was never good at math, but 170 something. It'll be in the show yeah, notes, those are, Brad. Those are two, those are two home runs right in a row. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're brilliant leaders, Craig and Jeff. So Jeff Henderson, Craig Grishel, we will link to those in the show notes. Or you can just scroll back on this feed and you'll see them there. They're close. Um, Okay, one more, man. We could could go on and on and on. But this is the stuff, you know, that we just talk about when we hang out, right? And this is the best part of the green room, the best part of the, huh, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? It's not that there's definite answers. It's just these are the trends, and we get to process them out loud together, hopefully faithfully, hopefully prayerfully, so that we can all sharpen each other and get better as as leaders, so so we can do that. So uh, let's chat team. Brad, you've always been a team guy, a team player, as much, you know, at Catalyst and in helping churches and so on and so forth. Um and you and I are really passionate about succession. That's something that you thought very intentionally about at Catalyst. It's for young leaders. So at 40, you stepped aside. Tyler Reagan's doing a great job there. Uh, at 50, I stepped aside. And Jeff Brody's doing a fantastic job as a lead pastor at Connexus now. And I still get to play and help. Um, but more and more, we see churches founded by one guy. Or, you know, it's never founded by one guy. But you know what I mean. The, the single model of leadership, lead pastor, teacher, preacher, whole deal. Uh, being replaced by teams of leaders, like what Willow did right now with Heather and with yep. Steve after Bill Hybels, and even Newspring has gone to team leadership in its new incarnation. So why do you think that is, and do you think that will continue? Is that a trend where you see one being replaced by teams? Yeah, I, de- I definitely think it'll continue, because I just think collaboration is more attractive. Hmm. It's more attractive to young leaders, and it's also more doable. Because yeah. we're now seeing we're now seeing models that we look at and go, oh, okay, 
Like that, that's actually that working. Works. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that, that it was, it's, it's, here's, here's a premise always of leadership and of the way that you actually implement systems and create your organization and build team is you lead how you were led. Right. Every time. So if you were led by one guy or one woman, you will be the one guy, one woman model. Exactly. And if you were led by a team or if you're part of a team and it's, it's more collaborative, it's more unified, it's more cohesive, it's more cross-functional, all those things, then you'll pass that down. And so because we're seeing more of that, we'll start to see even more of it. Um, and replacing so many of these patriarchs, Bill, you, you can't replace Bill Hybels. Yeah. Where are you going to find the new Bill, right? Exactly. Good luck. So the, the best way potentially, I think the Heather and Steve, we'll, we'll see, but I think it's going to work. I know them both and they're great leaders. And I think mm-hmm. that's in per, perhaps the best way to, to do that is, you know, to sort of create um, a, a, a both a, a unified but also very distinct model of both of them taking on pieces of Bill Hybels that then they can continue with. And we're, we're just going to see more and more of that where we're, we're, we're replacing patriarchs or we're, we're transitioning from patriarchs with, with a more cross-functional but also just, uh, you know, a three-headed, four-headed monster in essence. Well, and also the the one man, one person, one woman show myth of any large. Hey, listen, small churches. If you're under two hundred, way more likely that it's a one person show than if it's a large church, because you know we all associate very large churches. Elevation is Stephen Furtick, you know, North Point, Andy Stanley, Passion City, Louis Giglio. Anybody who's peeked behind the curtain for more than thirty seconds knows there's a real high capacity team there. Um, Things have been divided for years. It's just human nature. We associate a face with the place, and that's just yeah. what we do. But I really, I look even at Connexus. You know, we're two years now into this transition, and I look at the complexity of leadership. Like we just launched a third location. We live synced our locations. We're doing pop up church. We did Christmas in four cities, and I'm looking at what we're doing now that we split the role a little bit more. And I think there's a complexity to leadership that probably wasn't as intense as maybe a decade ago that probably is going to require more voices, more thought, more team. Any thoughts on that? Do do you see that as well? Do you think leadership is becoming more complex and therefore requires more people, like more more brains around the table at the senior level or or not? I yes, definitely. And you know, that's with a team, you're always going to want to have people around you who are smarter than you, yeah, who are more experienced than you, who, who bring expertise in certain areas. And so, you know, regardless of who the point person is and who the personality is that may be more well-known, you still have, you still, every time you want to drive towards a team that is, is you, when you look around and look at the people who you're surrounded by, you go, wow, like I wouldn't even get invited to this party unless I was the one actually putting it on. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, there's what I, what I, what I, there's a lot of debate, Carrie, on is the point person leader model going away? And I don't think that's going away because um, I still think you, you need to be very clear. Clarity is the, is one of the basis of leadership. Yes. Um, so if, if you have a team model that creates, that creates lack of clarity, confusion, that's not good. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And and it doesn't mean that you you don't lead with a team mindset, but you always have to know like who the point person is. 
and who's who's the one ultimately that makes the decision and how do we actually like again create clarity how do we move problems forward how do we create solutions all that stuff has to be still part of the agenda and if if the goal is well we just want to have a team but then nothing gets done because yeah. everybody thinks that the other person's doing it then that's just as bad well, as probably having worse. one person yeah. yeah having one person who is you know the 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 end all like every decision goes through them and they you know they're the matriarch or they're the patriarch and nothing happens without their approval and you know so i think a healthy balance on this is is what we want to shoot for but um i don't know i mean i we'll, we'll see we'll we'll see if i think i think the more complex the organization we would all agree that the the best way to to transition a complex organization meaning multi-site meaning multiple campuses locations lots of staff you're going to you're going to probably always win with with more people involved at a high level who are really really competent yeah to 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 think that one person is going to transition a really really complex system to another person that may be too much to ask you know <laughs> which was um, which was largely built around that one person's personalities and unique giftings right you got it. You from got the it. founder I mean, if you really look at it from the founder system, it's the glue. Like Jeff Brody would say for me, Carrie, you always led by communicating. And it's true. If I had a problem, I'd just figure out what to say and I'd get up and address. And it might be a 60-second announcement. It might be an email. It might be, you know, a rallying cry to the troops. It might be a new sermon series. But that's how I lead. I just, I'm naturally, I'm a litigator. I'm a communicator. I mean, that's what I do. And he leads very differently. And I couldn't lead the way he leads, and he does it very effectively. And you have to think about that. And I still get to communicate, which is fun, because that's my favorite part of the job. And the, the, the most important thing was succession. In any of these environments, any situation, small church, big church, big church nonprofit, doesn't matter, for-profit, is you start way earlier than you need to. That is yeah. the... The most important well, and part. you spoke that when we were sitting in Guatemala four or five years ago, and I was still, you know, I was probably 47, 48, and you're like, you need to go now. And I'm like, Brad, it's now. way too soon. It's way too soon. And you're like, no, it's not. Because sometimes right. it, might take, it might take three years for you to transition, you know, Jeff into the place where he's teaching five times a year, 10 times a year, 15 times a year. Yeah. And over time, people look around and go, oh, okay, this is yeah. not normal. And when you step yeah. out, they go, no yeah. big deal. We don't even miss them. Yeah. We'll, we'll be Which fine. is what you want. You want you want people to get to the point. You know, you don't want your kids living in your basement when they're 40. And exactly. you don't you don't want your church calling you when you're 80. And that's <laughs> going, that's, hey, we that's need the you. Problem. That's the problem most of the time with, with successions that are difficult. It's because there's now this this massive personality. Right. And everybody thinks We'll never replace them. We'll never replace them. Um, and there's nothing wrong with a massive personality as long as you've brought some people with you and that there's that you all of a sudden you look around and go, oh, okay, well that there's four people there that are the bench yeah. and man, they can step in and run this thing and and make it hum, even though we still love that massive personality. And and this is an issue not just I know, because most people are probably thinking mega church, mega church, mega church. Actually, this is a really huge issue in tiny churches. Exactly. It is the one leader who's been there a decade, 15 years, 20 years. They make all the decisions. They do all the teaching. They do all the pastoral care. They, you, you are the man. You are the woman. 
And you're almost impossible to replace. Even in that universe, Like you, it all revolves around you. And that's a weakness of the model, of yep. the solo pastor model and, and that type of leadership. So um, this is something we all have to face, not just the big churches, not just the multi-site churches, not and I, I think that. you know one of the trends carry too on hmm. on a lot of this is is going to be that you're going to see more and more. I mean, I, I was I was talking about this, not that I'm you know the expert or the know it all, but I was talking about mergers and acquisitions three or four years ago, yeah. and how that I, I was seeing it happen, uh, you know, at that point, and now it's even becoming more and more of the norm. And mm-hmm. so parts part of succession going forward is actually going to be mergers and acquisitions and, you know, joint ventures. And you're yeah. going to see lots of, lots of churches, I think in, in small environments and big environments start to look around and go, the best way for us to continue the legacy of this 50 year church is for us to partner with the church down the street and actually take the signs off and the denomination them the keys and, and let's all work together to impact our city. And I just think that's going to be more and more, the norm going forward because we have a new generation that says it's not about me. Yeah. It's all about us. And if, if we're, if we're willing to say that, then we can look around and, and feel like, you know what, we can work together and we can cross a lot of lines that, that before were just harder and harder. They, they were just hard to navigate. And now that's just becoming, that's just becoming standard operating procedure. It's been a rich conversation um, one of the things I'm imagining, you know, I'm not around one of those tables at Rethink Leadership, but this is the kind of conversation you can have with people in that environment over a couple of days. Like you just you actually make are around that one of those tables. You just step at the front one. I'm up at the, the front, front one. Table. I got to bounce up on that platform and then down off That's that right. platform. So it's not quite That's the right. same experience. I'm at your table, Brad, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about this pre-conference and post-conference, but. Um, we got Andy Stanley's going to be there this year, Reggie Joyner, uh, John Acuff, Kara Powell, Lee Allen Jenkins, Les McEwen from Predictable Success is back. He brought the house down last year and uh, we'll be back. Who else is, is coming? Do we have any anyone else well, confirmed? We're working on several new voices. So uh, Yeah, so stay tuned. Know, yeah. Uh, and Brad Lominick, the, the, Brad, the Brad inestimable Lominick Brad Lominick will be there. Yes, and, and actually, Carrie, the... the one of the, I think one of the, the, the more impactful sessions, at least for me, even though I was helping lead it, was you and I doing the joint affinity conversation last year. Oh, yeah. Where we that basically was great. had no agenda. We just no. answered questions for an hour. Yeah. And yeah, and, talk about that because we don't really have breakouts. We have affinity conversations, which are really yeah. our breakout tracks, so smaller, but the format's kind of fun. It freaks speakers out, but but it's turned to, <laughs> it really freaks, especially, uh, okay, so if you're wondering, like, you know, the big secret of conferences is speakers always go too long. So right. we give them on average, usually about 18 minutes. Um, but the timer is not just on their screen. It's on the screen that the whole audience sees. So if they go over. That's right. They get publicly yeah, shamed. Isn't that true, you Brad? You get booed and you get you stuff get... thrown at you. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's happened yet, but maybe this year. Maybe we should make that happen. We'll start it. <laughs> we'll, start the, we'll start the trend. That'll be yeah, from but... your table. Yeah, we'll talk I mean, about yeah. our breakout, our affinity. And we should do that again. You and I should just do this with people in the room. All no right, question. so and sign it, us up. It was you and I just basically talking about leadership and yeah. some of the things we were seeing, but it was 10 minutes of us sort of saying, what's the, what's the one thing? 
that we would want to share with the with the groom. There was probably 75 liters sitting in there. Uh, and then the rest of the time, for 50 minutes beyond that, we just answer questions. And yep. these are smart people. These are smart leaders. Yeah. These are these are leaders who are hungry. And so the questions were really good. And it led to even more discussion. And, and I think, again, for me, that's what is unique, but it's also the most beneficial is setting in an environment where you're, you're actually like interacting and being able to hear some things that aren't just the cookie cutter. Well, I remember the debate we had when we were setting up the structure for Rethink Leadership. And one of the pushbacks to the affinity conversation around the table, the design table was, gosh, we've all been to Q&A sessions where the questions right. were terrible. Awful. They were terrible. Yeah. And we've been there. And so it was a real risk because every single affinity conversation, we tell the speakers, 15 minutes of you, 45 minutes of Q&A. But yeah. I think what, what we've found in the ones that I've done and been a part of and what other speakers have found and what um, participants have found is because of the kind of leader that Rethink Leadership attracts, the questions tend to be really, really good and strong, and I've I've enjoyed it. I've I feel like I've learned, even though you know I've got to come up with an answer. The questions are great, so um, yeah. So there's affinity conversations. There's main sessions. Your ticket here's the secret buys you access to all the main sessions at Orange Conference across the street. Um, but yeah. rethink leadership is just for senior leaders. So if you're a senior pastor, campus pastor, executive pastor, um, this is your forum. So that's right. And yeah. and and we. We would also, I would say we would, um, we would welcome any of you who are, you, you may be leading a large nonprofit. You may oh, be okay. the president of a, of a nonprofit or uh, an executive director of a nonprofit. So the same would apply for you. Um, we're, we are building stuff for pastors, yeah. but you know, a lot of the leadership stuff, uh, if you're sitting in that seat where you're, where you're running an organiza- organization, especially that's faith-based, you know, you're going to, you're going to get a lot of value out of that as well. Yeah, leadership is leadership. So that's right. You can still, yep. We still have it sold out every year. I imagine it's going to sell out again this year, but you can still get in if you hurry at rethinkleadership.com. And we'll also, probably by the time this airs and football season is over um, <laughs> for another year, Brad, we'll even have a couple new speakers up on the, on the website too. Yes, we're, we're working on uh, adding a few more. And, you know, the, the beauty is, is that, most people are not even aware. Those who are registered right now, if we did, if we polled them and said who's speaking, they would probably say, well, I don't know. I don't really care. I just <laughs> yeah. know it's going to be good. It's just going to be good. We're going to hang out. We're going to connect and we're going to talk, which is That's which right. will be great. Well, Brad, people are going to want to find you online as well. H3 Leadership continues to sell like hotcakes, does it not? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I hope, yeah. I hope it is. I hope people are still uh, finding it valuable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. It's it's well, a go-to you. leadership textbook. And if you haven't got it, you need to pick it up. But are you still at bradlominick.com? All that, all the outlets are just first and last name for me. And any social go. media, any uh, website, just my name. So that's where you find me. Cool. Well, Brad, thanks so much. Looking forward to hanging out in Atlanta, April, what is it this year? 25th, 27th? 25th to the 27th. Yes. And it's for the, great. yeah. My fifth time, Carrie, this is the best one. It always gets better every time we have a conversation. <laughs> it really, really does. Well, there'll be a time number six too, Brad. Thanks, buddy. I love it. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. 
Well, that is going to be a lot of fun when Brad and I get together and host you at Rethink Leadership. You can get everything in the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 181. And uh, let me tell you about some uh, new speakers that we've just added to the timeline. We've got, well, not only Reggie Joyner, Andy Stanley, but we have Lee Allen Jenkins. Uh, we have Cheryl Batchelder, Dr. John Townsend is going to be there, like Cloud and Townsend. That is going to be fascinating. Les McEwen. We also have Charles Lee and many, many more. And basically, it's just a forum for you to come together and to really grow your leadership. You're not going to be sitting in rows. You're going to be sitting around round tables. You're going to learn from your peers. Um, we really want access for the speakers. So uh, we're doing affinity conversations, whereas Brad says literally... It's 15 minutes of presentation and half an hour to 40 minutes of Q&A. The questions are great. And we want you to leave with your questions answered. If you register now, you will still be eligible to be part of our VIP reception the night before. I always love that event. And it's April 25th through 27th in Atlanta. Go to RethinkLeadership.com, register today before it's too late, and it sells out, which it does every year. So you want to get in on that. Uh, man, next week we are back with uh, what I'm jokingly calling our uh, mini executive MBA. Uh, Cheryl Batchelder had an unbelievable decade as the CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Chicken. Literally engineered one of the biggest corporate turnarounds, I think, of the last 30 years. I think it's going to be talked about in business school for, for years. And a masterclass, just a masterclass in leadership development, bouncing back from, from difficulty. Well, uh, don't take my word for it. Here's an excerpt. The second thing I underestimated was I have convictions about how you work with people, how you collaborate, how you communicate how you treat every single person you interact with with dignity in all circumstances. But the corporate world, frankly, doesn't encourage you on those fronts. Uh, the corporate world says, hurry, be efficient, uh, don't waste all that time doing soft skill things. And I really believe in these things. I believe they drive business results. And so I didn't have the courage of my convictions around um, because I did know that franchisees were the most important asset, but I didn't have the confidence to make that clear to everyone else that I worked with that that would be the governor on how we operated. Uh, the second time around, I got that right. That is coming up next week. And again, subscribers, you get this absolutely free in your inbox every Tuesday morning. And after that, we're talking about the Nuclear Navy with Todd Wilson. Brian Houston and I are going to get together. We have a fascinating conversation. Greg Atkinson is back with part two of one of the most popular episodes of all time on um, guest services and how to do a great job with that. We've got Tim Elmore coming up. So many more leaders. You're you're gonna love it. We got we got a great year. I can't believe it. We've we've almost scheduled the year out already. It's only February. How did that happen? Uh, but but it's great stuff. Share this with a friend if it's helped. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being the constant encouragement that you are. We all need it some days, don't we? And we're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.